Hey guys, welcome back to the Survival Show Podcast Manly Music Segment. I'm producer Ben. And before we get into today's show, I just want to make you guys aware this does have some mature language in it. We try to filter out as much as possible while leaving the content genuine. Also, I want to let you know about an exciting new platform that we're using to engage with you called Anchor. You can go over to anchor.fm or get the app. Listen to our podcast. If you have a question or comment, you can leave us a voicemail. If it's a question you want it to be aired, just let us know and we'll put it on a future podcast. You can also sign up to support us right there on Anchor. It's super easy, convenient, and it's all right there. All right, guys, let's get into today's podcast with Craig and special guest Adam Smith. All right, guys and gals. Glad to have you with us again for the Survival Show podcast. Uh, told this story a bunch of times, but I did some training a few years ago, and I keep telling this story about this guy that I trained with. His name is Adam, and he is probably one of the guys that I would call a mountain of a man in many respects. Uh, <laughs> the story I tell about Adam is that we did this training, and he's such a big dude that his his AR, his rifle, looks like a little toy gun in his hands because he's such a big dude but adam smith is with me today adams how are you doing i'm good brother how are you fantastic fantastic so what's going on with you today anything special you already got the workout in what's what's crushing with you today man morning yoga session already done morning meditation already done like all the all the crazy hippie stuff that i've gotten myself into is already done so it's already spectacular <laughs> the hippie stuff That's are you right. wearing a are you wearing like a rainbow capote and all that good stuff while you're doing that? <laughs> no, no, not that far. We haven't gone that far in the shenanigans. <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. So, Adam wears, I don't know. I don't know how long this podcast is going to be, you all. I have no idea. It could be, uh, it could be hours. We'll see. But Adam wears a lot of hats. But what I thought I'd do is, is give Adam an opportunity to talk about his experiences in the past. He's in the military. We'll talk about that and uh, go into what he's doing now and how his experiences in the past have applied to what he's doing now because he's doing some rocking things, and we want to make sure we talk about that. So with that said, Adam, how about you tell us about your background? Anything you want to tell us? Where do we start? So I spent spent just about 17 years in the U.S. Army, um, 99% of that time in the U.S. Army National Guard. What most people don't know or realize is that there's actually two U.S. Army Special Forces groups in the National Guard, the 19th and 20th Special Forces Group. So um, I spent nearly 10 years in both of those, like uh, combined. So sometime in the 19th Group and sometime in the 20th Group. What state? uh, Kentucky? All over, no. So uh, I was assigned to a a company out of Washington State, and then I worked out of Utah at the 19th Group headquarters as the training training guy at the the, the training group or detachment. And then I went down to 20th Group in Florida, uh, was assigned to a company out of 20th Group in Florida, so my time revolved around there. I did some time in D.C., uh, attached to the military district of Washington in a company called the MDW, which we did some work for uh, anybody that works in D.C. as an individual military augmentee. We're going to get to some crazy lingo here for everybody that's listening. Um, yeah. Anybody that operates in D.C. that is not officially assigned to a, uh, a unit, an operational unit, because they're operating in another capacity, gets assigned to the MDW, the military district of Washington. And they... They fall under a company, and it's the largest company in the United States, this company of, of personnel is the largest company in the United States, and there's a captain that's in charge of this company, and they're like one-star generals that are hmm. support staff to other higher-ranking generals, and they actually fall in this company, which is kind of crazy, the whole hierarchy and how it works inside that world. The, 
you start working in DC, things start adjusting and changing a little bit. So is that based out of uh, the Department of Defense or is there a base? It just where is it in DC or is that important to know or shouldn't know? Uh, it's not a secret by any means. You can look yeah. it up on Google. I think uh, it's uh, it's attached. It, it joins where the Arlington National Cemetery is. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so you've got I don't even I can't remember the name of the base, but you've got Arlington, and then you've got the U.S. Army drill and, drill and ceremonies and parade unit and detail that does all the ceremonial stuff there. The old guard. Um, and then the old guard is on the same facility that MDW is on, but they really, it's just gotcha. a couple of offices. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. I see. So outside of training, what did you do in the military inside of SF? Is that, um, I was an 18 echo. So, uh, I went from, I started as an infantry guy and then I went from infantry and did my first couple of deployments. I did a tour to Bosnia and then a tour to Afghanistan and then came back and went to selection and, um, I got picked up and went through and got assigned as an 18 echo, which is a special forces communication. Sergeant. but the interesting thing is that in, in the special forces on an ODA, you don't just operate and function as, as your MOS, your, your job, your job is very specific and it's very important, but in reality, you get cross-trained across a broad spectrum. So right. though I wasn't an engineer, I was still blowing stuff up. Though I wasn't a medic, I was still helping on on medical things. Uh, though right. I wasn't a weapons specialist, I was still I still very knowledgeable on weapons across the board. So we all cross train extensively. So it's pretty much a self supporting team, and that's why everybody has to be able to do everything. In case one guy's not available to do what he needs to do, everybody in the team needs to be able to do everything. Because yeah, you're on your own, right? I mean, no matter what you're doing, you're a lot of times that type of teamwork is out on your own without little support. Am I correcting? Yeah, yeah, you're not you're not off base by any means. The whole concept of uh, of the U.S. Army Special Forces, uh, with its origins being in the first Special Services Force, and a little history lesson: um, you had uh, the Jedbergs and the first Special Services Force, and some other units from World War II that that were sort of the grandfathers of uh, modern U.S. Army Special Forces. Not all special operations, but specifically U.S. Army Special Forces, and so. That, that little window, there is intelligence work that happened in that world. There was uh, psychological operations that happens inside that world. There are direct action that happens inside that world. So you, it's really comprised of a multitude of different facets of operational capabilities. So you put it all together and you train this group of dudes to be able to function with as little logistical support as possible. Now, in reality, modern U.S. Army Special Forces, with the exception of the guys that really pushed in early into Afghanistan um, in 2001, 2002, that they just made a movie about, the horse soldiers, they, they really truly did function how U.S. Army Green Berets are supposed to function. And they did the operation that we're really designed to do. Um, that's our specialty. But right. we wear a thousand different hats, right? We're professional trainers, we're professional instructors, we're professional operators. We're, we do all that. We do the whole spectrum. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, I wanted to get you on so because I know that you're good at this. Is I've worked with a bunch of SF guys here and there doing things. And every SF guy that I've ever come in contact with is intelligent and a good communicator. I'm not saying they all are. I'm not saying all of you are. But, but everyone I've ever come in contact with is just over-the-top, really good communication, <laughs> knows how to work effectively with others and it's just really enlightening and it's been real educational for me. I mean, is that where, where do you guys learn that? Is that in the Q course? Is that through selection? Is that, you know what, man, I honestly, I honestly and wholeheartedly believe the selection process is really, you get hammered on individual capabilities and team capabilities. 
So you're evaluated not only on your own ability to perform and, and come to that next level of, of individual performance, but how can you perform inside of a team as a leader and a follower? So there's a lot of different criteria that guys follow, and there's a lot of different selection criteria that get applied to each candidate that goes through the selection process. But on the other side of that too, man, it's, it's just like any other unit. You have some, you have, there's a high percentage, there's a, I would say that there's above average higher percentage in the U.S. Army Special Forces of, you know, I would say intelligent and articulate guys than knuckle draggers, though we are really all knuckle draggers, let's be real, um, <laughs> than you would find in just a regular infantry unit. That doesn't mean that right. a regular infantry unit doesn't have very intelligent individuals. I would just say that nine times out of 10, a more specialized unit is going to have higher, a higher quality of professional in that space. So how many deployments did you have to Bosnia? Uh, I did one to Bosnia. That was, that was actually my first, my first tour. My first deployment was to Bosnia. That was in 2000, oh, wow. 2002, 2003, 2002, 2003. S413 is when I went over to Bosnia. That was a very interesting first time overseas. S413? What do you, yeah, what's that mean? security force. So it was a NATO, it was okay. a NATO deployment. We, we operated and functioned under NATO in, in Bosnia. So um, security force is what we were considered. And it was S413. I don't know what the 13 stood for. I don't know. I was a, I gotcha. was a, I was a young, I was a young trooper at that point. <laughs> You're ready to rock and roll, huh? Yeah, I was like, hey, man, we got, we're gonna drive around in the Humvees and like wear body armor and be not at the in the United didn't States. Have, I'm good. You didn't have to wear blue hats, did you? No, no. <laughs> Thank goodness. No, yeah. we didn't okay. fall under NATO command. We we fell under. It was a NATO operation. Okay. So it had no, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And then you went to where'd you say Iraq or Afghanistan? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And your experience there, what was that like? Interesting. Yeah. Like most, it was interesting there. It, my first tour in Afghanistan was, um, was as a, a leg guy, it was just a regular entry soldier. And so okay. our, our initial, our initial purpose of being in country was to, as our company was an infantry company, but they were, we were there to support embedded team trainers. And so ETTs and embedded team trainers were guys that were getting attached to Afghan Kandaks, Afghan companies, and then doing basically an SF job, train, advise, and assist. So for our audience, which are, uh, there's obviously some military folks, but is a higher percentage of non-military folks or not ones that have, have experience with, um, Iraq, Afghanistan and such things. How can you apply what you learn there to what our topic is, which is survival? I mean, hygiene, the way you took care of yourself. What's um, hygiene is always a big topic for me. People always throw that off in a survival scenario. It's really, it's really, really important. But I would say what's interesting is not necessarily what to do, but what not to do. Like one of the things not to do is to wipe your butt with a rock. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. I never thought I'd do that, but that's not the recommended technique (laughs) when you're done taking a dump. That's just not like, like if you want if you want some severe hemorrhoids or some anal fissures, then that's how you handle that business. Is you get a rock and you hammer down. And try oh my and gosh! So oh, and wow. so that's it's really a what not to do. Like, hey, here's another good example. Don't put your slip trench, the thing that you're going to use the bathroom in, in the center of your compound next to where you cook and wash. Not a good combination. Like if you're <laughs> going to be in a held up location for an extended period of time, don't put your toilet next to where you cook and wash. Yeah. That's probably not cool. That's not cool at all. <laughs> no, not, not awesome. Cool. Also, a really good word of advice is like, you know, don't use the bathroom and wipe your bum and then immediately go eat without washing your hands. Okay. Yeah. Now, now see, 
people listening right now are like, yeah, really, bro, this is what you're bringing to the table. <laughs> let, let me just help you understand something. I got, I got dysentery twice when I was in Afghanistan, the first tour, because we would go out and we would meet with locals in the process of meeting with locals and having these meetings, people would want to, people would want to have your, they would want to serve you food. And right. so you would sit down and eat food with, with these, the locals in the area. But the problem that we run into is that, is that cleanliness hygiene was not super high on the list of things to take in consideration. And so all the food was contaminated. And so yeah. then you would eat contaminated food and you didn't want to not eat it because it was rude. And then when you get done eating it, you come back to the house and you would be jacked up. Now, one of the things we talk about a lot, or at least I've talked about in my books, is just the ability to work with others. And in this situation, refusing food is a major problem, right? Oh, I mean, you've, you've, you've got to embed yourself with them you've, you, because that is that would that be an offense to them? It, it, yeah, it would be offensive. It would be offensive. There's way, there's always sort of really polite ways and gestures that you can work on to get around uh, having to partake. But it's one of those things where it, it's a, it's a big show of respect and a big show of like, um, just graciousness, just being gra- grateful for sure. this, this gift that's given to you, especially when a lot of these locals and a lot of these tribal areas don't have they they don't have a lot they, just, they don't they don't have a lot of food they don't have a lot of things and so presenting this to you is really a big gift oh and so yeah to be gracious and grateful for receiving the gift is very important what's crazy it's not just afghanistan though that's everywhere it's literally all around the world it, you go right. to south korea and you're hosted to to a meal in south korea it's really like men in south korea don't pour their own drinks they would pour the man across from them the their drink and then vice versa mm. so respect and courtesy and if you're the guest, most people won't touch the food, any food on the table until you touch it first. So right. let, let's say it's family style and there's 10 plates of food on the table and you, and you decide like, I don't really want to eat that because it doesn't look very appetizing. Well, nobody's going to eat it. Interesting. Yeah. I've done that with, with Japanese culture in particular where, you know, the head of the table, you don't eat until he or she eats, typically he. And I, I remember sitting down to eat one time and waited three hours before I ever ate a bite because you don't want to eat before he, and he was just really interested in the conversation. Yeah. And I, and I mean, as far as, uh, I mean, as, as far as working with others, I try, I try to bring everything back to survival, you know, learning how to work with others and learning how other people work and communicating effectively with them. That's all vital to being able to work with other people. Effective communications is crucial. If you're not able to articulate what you're thinking or, or, you know, think through the process of what you're trying to do, then you're just, it, you, you will fail as a team member ultimately. Uh, and, and if you're surviving as a team, if you have a group of people, let's say two or three people, well, you have multiple assets that can divide and conquer in the process of collecting supplies, whatever it is we got to do to survive in that space. So one people can, one person can be tending a fire and collect constantly collecting firewood. So we have a never ending uh, source of fuel while somebody else is working on the shelter or two people can work on a shelter while we build a fence. Like at the end of the day, if we're not effectively communicating to one another and ensuring that our plan is solid and actioning the plan, then we fail. And then ultimately we each fail as an individual rather than succeeding as a team. Awesome. That sounds good. So how many deployments did you have mm. over there? Um, so I had, one to Bosnia, one to Afghanistan. I had another one to Afghanistan, and that was like a mixed bag, a set of orders that I got when I was working in D.C. 
And then um, I did stuff. And then, and then on top of that were all the other things that we did. The J sets, which includes training um, like partner, like host forces, partner forces. So mm. military operations other than war is what we call it. Okay. And that's all through Southeast Asia, South and Central America. Um, so we stayed pretty busy. Yeah. And so how long, how, again, tell me again how long you were in. Just about 17. Okay. So all this is over this 17-year time span uh, or did no, you about, have a – Just about a decade. I spent just about 10 years uh, in, okay. in, in the Special Forces. So after your last deployment, how long were you still in or did you get out shortly after? Um, my last deployment, I spent – I spent about another 18 months, um, 18 months in, but it was a big transition period. And so that transition period, uh, I, you know, I, I made contact to the unit and said, Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is the plan. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And the national guard's a little bit different than active duty. You're not reporting every single day. And so we would do drills. And so, you know, we'd go to drill and link up or do a training, something somewhere else, but it was the process of the transition coming out. And that was the time period. Um, that was the time period that I took the time to go on a bike ride with my buddy to raise money for a nonprofit, which was awesome. We did a mm. bicycle ride across the country. Um, oh, really? I didn't yeah. know you did that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So we ended up doing, it was a total of 5,000 miles and uh, we did it over three months and we did it for an organization called the task force dagger foundation. And they specifically support, um, U S army special forces, U S army special operations and special operations. And it kind of goes in that order. Um, there's, you know, you have the Navy SEAL Foundation, which focus, focuses on the Navy SEAL. You got the Green Beret Foundation, focuses on them. The Task Force Dagger Foundation um, was founded by a former Green Beret, and and his his target and effort is to really fill the gaps that are are not getting taken care of in those other spaces. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, he's that's, a phenomenal guy. Yeah, that's good stuff. Real good stuff. So after your separation from the military, what did you get into? What were you, what were you all about? So, um, when the bicycle, the bicycle ride got finished, uh, I was on the back end of the, the time period for me to get out. So I had about, um, six more months left and, um, I petitioned the unit and I just basically did local drills wherever I was located. So I did training locally to make sure that I fulfilled my time. But my wife and I, uh, we, we were engaged at the time, and I linked up with her in Chicago. So we spent three months in Chicago while she was finished. She went back to school. My wife is insane, man. So <laughs> my wife is a year younger than I am, and she worked in Florida and had started developing a career. And halfway through her career, she was like, ah, I don't like it. <laughs> so okay. she decides right. that she doesn't like what she's doing, and she's, she doesn't, she's not happy with her bachelor's degree. So she goes back to school for her master's after the age of 30. And she goes back to school for her master's degree to get her master's in prosthetics and orthotics. And so I link up with her in the process of her finishing her master's degree. And we live in Chicago for three months, which in of itself is a, we could spend hours talking about that experience. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, I spent a lot of time like, in Chicago, man. No, like, <laughs> I got held up in traffic during a black lives matter March through downtown. And I got held. Oh, we could talk about this for days. The experiences there were insane. So, that's actually where I got introduced to making knives was in, was in Chicago at a low, it was a forge and yeah. it was an, it was an art, it was an art forge. Like it was a blacksmith right. where they made art. And this guy that was there was making knives. And so I called him. I was like, Hey dude, I've always had an interest in this. My great, great grandfather did this. And my great grandfather did this. And then, you know, my grandfather never got into blacksmithing, but he did a bunch of other metal work. I'm like, dude, let's go look at this. So long story short, that's where I got introduced to that. But uh, my wife and I, we were engaged. 
and then we transitioned from there to Kentucky. Okay. Now, what brought you here, though? What brought you to Kentucky? Uh, my wife's residency program. So she found oh, a residency okay. program for athletics. So we moved into a okay. little town called Lancaster, outside, just outside of Lancaster. Oh, um, the big city of Lancaster in Kentucky. Yeah, man, Lancaster, if you want to say it right. <laughs> I'm, I know. Lancaster, right outside of Danville. <laughs> Louisville? Yeah. Yeah, south of Louisville? Yeah, outside of, outside of Lexington, north of, north of Danville. Hey, I do want to go back to one of those things that you glossed over there. Uh, let's talk about being stuck in a Black Lives Matter. Uh, I mean, I know from your background, you want to be you want to be taken care of security and what have you. I mean, that's not a good feeling. I'm assuming. No, I actually i i, I got really angry. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into politics, and I don't want to talk about politics. I i've i've served I have served with every color creed underneath the sun, every religion underneath the sun. I have got friends from all walks of life. And, and I, and I really, I, I really, I really love, I mean, I love all these people. They're really phenomenal people. One of the things I absolutely despise is when an organization as a whole decides to start labeling an organization decides to start labeling like peacekeepers and, and people like law enforcement and they label them pigs and racist and bigots and the whole nine yards. And, and, and then if you support them, then you are also now a pig and a racist and a bigot. And so I, it, it makes me sick to my stomach. Right. And so I, I got trapped in, I got trapped in traffic and, uh, and I didn't know what was going on. And, and there's a big line of, of bicycle cops coming down the road that I was at. And I was like, man, what, what's going on? So I got out of the car and mind you, now this is the funny part. I'm driving like a 2004 Acura TSX. That's got like 130,000 miles in it in downtown Chicago because we're staying in an apartment that's pretty close to right, right downtown in the core of Chicago. It's in the core of Chicago. And so I get out of this, I'm in stuck in traffic. We're not going anywhere. I get out of the car. I lock the door, turn off the car and I walk up to what the heck is going on. And there in front of me is literally like brother from me to the wall. We're talking about 10 feet away is the entirety of the protest. Oh, Over, over 250 people. And standing in the street, right on Michigan Avenue in downtown Chicago, blocking traffic in all directions at rush hour. Is that like 515? It's rush hour, the height of rush hour. Man. Chanting, man. doing their protests for the whole nine yards. And and I, I was so enraged because I was like, man, like here you guys are. And I, I think what really triggered me in this whole thing was not 48 hours before, there was a seven-year-old boy that was taken out of his home and executed in the alley because of his dad's engagement with, with um, gangs in that space. Oh man. There was not a word of it. There was no protests about it. There was no engagement over it. There was nothing. And then all of a sudden, all these people are out protesting this other stuff, which in reality is not anyway. Yeah, no, it really pissed me off, man. Sure. Sure. So you got out of that. Got out of Chicago. Got out of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no joke, man. I used to go up there once a month for some training, uh, for several years. And that's, I mean, I love the people up there. I mean, it's kind of like what you're saying. The, the people that I was working with and training with in martial arts, great people, yeah. but just being there. No, not being yeah. There. Just the area. I don't, I don't even like it. Yeah. 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 But being in Kentucky is, is, you know, being in Kentucky transitioning down here was awesome. The only problem I ran into was that where we were living, I don't have a college degree. 
So I have a college education. I don't have a college degree. And in fact, I would say that in many ways, like I, we, you know, many ways guys that come from my community that don't have a college degree have a freaking doctorate in life experience because of the yeah, sure. amount of stuff that we get exposed to. And, uh, but it's that paper that, that, that everybody's it. wanting. I mean, it's like the door opener and I think that's, I think it's stupid, but go which ahead. comes right. back, which you know what is beautiful, Craig, because it ties back to survival. Sure. It's, all of this ties back to survival because one of the things I think that gets left out and not talked about enough is the consideration of, we talk about, we talk about wilderness survival, you know, and this is what you and I teach. We teach this on a regular basis and, and we both have a passion for it and we love it. And by the way, I love your book. Just so FYI. Um, yeah, thank you. Appreciate yeah, I bought, it. I bought your book to support a, fe- a fellow survivalist. And I appreciate you very much. Yeah, man. Um, but you know, the, the thing we forget is that like, survival in wilderness is a derivative of survival in life. And that was the place that I found myself in. I found myself in the ultimate survival mode, uh, which is kind of crazy. We had no money. I couldn't pay any bills. I was in debt. I couldn't find a job. And by when I say I couldn't find a job, I mean that, yes, I could have gone to McDonald's and worked at McDonald's and I could have done that. And I would have been willing to do that. I had submitted like, 200 something resumes, man. And I got three callbacks, but all the callbacks were in locations that were not in our area. And the, uh, the only way for us to do it is if we paid, if we paid rent or a lease and where we were living and we paid rent and a lease at where I was living, there was, there was no, there were no options. There, there just weren't any options that allowed my fiance and I at the time to be together and for us to start working on building a family. Right. And so now here I am, and, and this is the worst part here. Here I am in this transition. I have no mission. I have no purpose. I'm completely lost in the sauce. I'm, I'm not finding any opportunities that I can make happen. And I'm, I'm, I've, I went from 250 pounds to 317 pounds. Um, my testosterone yeah. level is, is low. My hormones are all jacked up. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm just in a jacked up state, man. Right. And, um, and I found myself one night sitting on a couch. One, it was actually one, one afternoon. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon. I was sitting on the couch and I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this. So I drank every ounce of booze in the house and wrote my suicide note. And I sat on the couch and I put a pistol in my mouth. And the only reason why I didn't pull the trigger is because I passed out because I was so drunk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For everybody listening, this is what got me pretty connected with Adam. We had this discussion when I was doing some training with him. And so, so what, what I want everybody to understand, Adam, from that experience is 
we're very fortunate. We, everybody listening, everybody that's in your life, not very fortunate that you're here now. Right. And even if it was just because you passed out. Okay. What, what are you doing now? What, what do you, what can you say to somebody that might be in those same positions that you were then? The fact of the matter is, is that you as an individual, you as an individual can't see what you offer to the world if you're stuck in a place of darkness. And, um, and you don't actually identify the value that you bring to the people around you because you're, you're stuck in this place of being blind. You're unwilling to see the truth of what's going on. At that time, the truth of what was going on was that I, I didn't have purpose. And, and, I, and I chose to continue to not have purpose because I simply avoided looking at trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. And I couldn't equate what I used to do in the military to what I did in the civilian world because trying to equate what I did there to what I do here, I I didn't know how to translate that, even though I'm verbose as hell. And I understand that I talk a lot. It doesn't matter at that point because at that point, I could not translate one to the other. And so the, the number one thing that gave me hope was finding new purpose. And, uh, and I wholly and heartedly attribute that to two people. And that was one of my best buds in the whole world um, who, who owns a tactical training company in the Louisville area. And he called me the next day. I sent him a text on Monday. I, I didn't have a pot to piss in and I couldn't do anything. Like I, I didn't have any money. I was selling my military gear that I had, I had collected over 17 years of shit that really meant something to me. I was selling it to make enough money to try and put bread on the table. And the next day my buddy calls me and goes, Hey dude, are you in town? Yeah, man, I'm in town. He's like, well, man, I appreciate you offering to call to like, to, I appreciate you offering a beer to link up for a beer. So on Monday I'd send him a call and left him a voicemail. Like, hey dude, I, I, I'm in town. I want to link up with you. I haven't seen in a long time. I'd like to buy you a beer. Like, mind you, I don't even have gas in my truck to get to Louisville. It's two, two hours and 15 minutes away for me to get to Louisville. There's no way I can do that. And so the next day, he gives me the call. That's, and he, uh, that's pretty fortuitous, you know what? I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Good stuff, man. Oh, Keep dude, going. it's amazing. Keep going. Keep going. Well, sorry. So, he, so the next day, he called me and he said, hey, dude, are you in town? I said, yeah. He said, well, he said, you know, what are you doing? He, I said, well, you know, I just want to link up for a beer. He's like, well, beer sounds great, man, but are you looking for work? Yes, I am. Well, what are you doing next week? I don't know what you got, man. He's like, why don't you come to Cleveland with me and let's train, uh, let's train some officers up in Cleveland uh, next week. And this is what I can do for you. And you know, this is what I'll pay you per day. This is all I can afford. And at the time, what he could pay me per day was a friggin' fortune. Yeah, exactly. Because we didn't have any money. Right. And, and that was just it. And so the next day, um, that Sunday, I, we, tra- we went and trained. We're supposed to train 17. We ended up training 43, and we trained them for five days. And when we got done, we came back to Louisville, and he t- really took great care of me. And so if it was not for my, my fiancé, um, who never left my side, and it was not for this, this amazing gift um, I, of, my, of my really, like, one of my best friends in the world, doing this and providing this opportunity, then I don't know where I'd be, but that's just the answer. That's survival. The survival is not acting in desperation. It is, it is uh, survival is a calculation. And me sitting on the couch, with the pistol in my mouth was desperation. And ultimately that's me losing the infinite game. And that's what people have to understand that life and survival. If we're in the wilderness or we're living life, it doesn't matter one or the other at the end of the day. It's about the infinite game or the finite game and understanding gaming theory in general. The finite game is, a, is an established game. 
it's a football game, it's a baseball game, it's a soccer game. There's a pre-established number of people. There's very definitive set rules. It does not change in the process of playing. And the way we win is that if you and I are playing football and I get more points than you do, Craig, I win and you lose. Right. It's defined. The infinite game is not defined. Rules are constantly changing. Players are constantly changing. And the only way to win the infinite game is to continue to play. I mean, look at the fall of the USSR. The Cold War was an infinite game. It would have continued to go on indefinitely until either militarily or economically, one of the players cannot continue to choose to play. And it just so happened that we outlasted the USSR. But that's just it. The fact of the matter is, is that in the moment when I sat on the couch, I acted out of a moment of desperation. And in that moment, I was choosing to no longer play, which is a failure in survival. And the next day, an opportunity presented itself from an extremely gracious individual who was full of love and respect and gratitude and whom I will love my entire life, offered me an opportunity to find new purpose. And the next day, the choice to play was yet mine again. And so I chose to play the infinite game. And, you, and that and brings us to where we are. Right. And guys and gals, that's where, again, can we talk about that? Yeah. Where, where, can we name it? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Okay. So uh, this is where I met Adam, everybody, is Norse Tactical in Louisville, which is a fantastic training facility. Uh, I was there uh, working with the team out of Laurel County, the Laurel County SRT team under Ronnie Van Zant, who is an incredibly good friend of mine. And, uh, so I got to go there with those guys and do some training under Adam. Uh, I've been there twice. Fantastic facility for you law enforcement guys that are out there. Look them up, look at them up. Fantastic facility. They've got everything, anything you need to, why don't you just tell everybody what you're doing there now, Adam? So, um, uh, so just so everybody knows, Norse Tactical used to be established in Louisville, but we found a new training facility, a new training center, and it's actually expanded significantly. So we moved into Southern Indiana. So we're headquartered. Oh, I didn't out, know that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. We're headquartered out in New Albany, Indiana. We've got a we've got a tactical training site in Jeffersonville. I won't get the details. We have a tactical training site in in the Floyd County, New Albany, Indiana region. I won't get the details. Um, and the reason why is because we train law enforcement, military only. We don't train civilians. Right. And so the, the number one thing that Norse is doing, and I tell you right now, uh, and, and, and this is not a, a place of ego or arrogance, Norse has taken nearly, nearly, nearly the last 10 years, um, like nine, nine and a half years, almost 10 years, Norse has fused United States military special operations evolutions of tactics. So if you can think about the, 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 the Super Bowl, that the United States military has been playing since the year 2000 and 2001, both in Iraq and Afghanistan, and all the like really hard lessons learned in that process of doing close quarters tactics and, and, and um, weapons manipulation and like the theory behind engagements and then practically applying theory. The game stopped being theoretical and started being practical every single day. And so the evolution of tactics and the fusion of the lessons learned are now getting translated into the law enforcement market. And what's really interesting is that across the board in the United States, nationally, it's, we talk about survival, the survivability of what on average most departments are using for tactics is, is significantly diminished because it, it, calls for, um, it calls for lots of speed. And one of the things that we learned was that it actually is better to slow down and be a bit more methodical in the process of gaining control over spaces. And so that's really the, the thing that's happening with Norse is that's just, it's translating those lessons learned into the law enforcement community, which is pretty spectacular. 
And so you're doing that on a daily basis or you all have, are you that busy with Norse? Are you doing, are you still doing CrossFit too? Yeah. So, um, so I was the director of training for Norse and then, um, uh, myself and uh, the, the owner of Norse, we decided who's, who's my friend. We decided that we we're going to open a gym together. And then, um, and then I bought the gym from him, not because of anything crazy, just because it was an opportunity for me to, to sort of take that off his plate and we can focus on that and growing it. And so, um, I've taken, I basically, I've taken some time away from Norse. So I don't, I don't work at Norse full time anymore. I'm still there as uh, an instructor, a trainer and an advisor. Um, but I've slid over. And so I do Norse tactical training. I own a CrossFit gym. I make customized Nomad Iron Works. Uh, I started a business and personal coaching a company called Savage Freedoms. And then I coach for another company called Wake Up Warrior. And so um, it's actually pretty Pretty insane. Oh, and uh, most recently, and this is like the newest venture, but this is like top, this is top venture right now is wake up warrior coaching is spectacular. Um, and that is equally as high as this, but I, I, I was offered an opportunity with a company called allied core or allied core. And uh, it is a medical cannabis company that's getting ready to come to market in the United States. And it's sole purpose in life. It is a for-profit company that is supporting nonprofit, um, a nonprofit organization to help bring more awareness and push for the legalization of medical marijuana in the United States at a federal level so that we can use um, cannabis and cannabinoid products to support the treatment of post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury in veterans and first responders. And so there's a, there's a deficiency, Craig, there's a deficiency. And, and, And if we were to say that there's not a deficiency in how the treatment process works for those issues through, through the VA, both in, in, in the, the companies originally out of Canada, and this is something that was really focused on in Canada as well, but there's a deficiency in how it's treated. So right. when we talk about the survivability of post-traumatic stress, for those of us who avoided the VA and never got diagnosed, i.e. myself, right. even though we showed all the signs and symptoms of both types of injuries, there was a way for us to self-medicate, and that was drinking or doing drugs. Right. Mine was drinking. I drank to sleep. I drank to not have to have bad thoughts and all that other stuff. But the consideration of survival coming on the other the other side of that, the consideration of survival. Look, at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing. There are better ways to treat post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. And the survivability aspect of that means that post-traumatic stress doesn't have to be freaking permanent. It's not a disorder. Like that, ah, we, it's, you know, in survival the words that we use and the mentality that we build around the words that we use are extremely important. And that's actually one of the things that I love the most about you is when you're having these conversations about survival, you're constantly hitting on mentality, right? You have to have a survivor's mentality, right? Right. Exactly. Right. I'm all about it. And nobody wants to listen to me on it either. And it drives me crazy, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep preaching that message, man. I don't care. Cause the guys that I know, like you, the guys that have dealt with, hardcore life experiences, they all say that. Every one of you say that. And so I'm trying to push that out to, you know, your average ordinary person in the world because it is that valuable. I know it's valuable because survival is not, uh, it, it's not hanging out at the campfire and, and whittling out ducks and, and figure four traps. No, it, It's about mentality. And, and if you have your mentality right, man, I'm starting to preach now. If you get that mentality right, then you'll be able to accomplish those other things. But yeah, 
that's why I, that's why I wanted you on not to just bake back me up. I'm not saying that at all, but I know, <laughs> I know your experiences, your experiences have taught me that mentality is important. And that's why I wanted you to discuss it today more than anything. Well, mentality is the number one the mentality above. Look, you can have skills and tactics all day long. You can know how to make whatever trap you want to make. You, you, you can know how to do all those cool things. You can understand the tactics of survival. But the strategic level consideration nobody ever takes into consideration is mentality. If you do not have a fighter's mentality, if you do not have the willingness to survive mentality, I want to be alive mentality, nobody's going to stop me or kill me or take my life away from me, especially not this freaking wilderness and especially not life, right. then you are not going to succeed. Right. You're not going to make it in survival. You're in, you put yourself into any survival situation, regardless of what it is. If you don't have the ability to have the right mentality and mindset in the process, then you will lose. Are the tactics important? Yes. You got to have the sure. skills, but it doesn't start with skills. It starts with the other side. Yeah. I've always called it a puzzle. Mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. That's the yeah. puzzle of survival. I mean, and it applies obviously to so many other things, but just because that's what I do, I call it survival and it, it's all there. And if you're missing that puzzle piece, then you don't have what you need to make the survival happen. In my opinion. I mean, is yeah, that something? Big black hole. Yeah. Because every time you go to do something and it fails, that's just one more chip away at your ability to continue to, to do something because you don't have the survivor's mentality to begin with. Hey, so I want to step back just a little bit because you said something that, uh, that is important for our listeners because we do have a large group of people that are not law enforcement, not military as well. You mentioned Norse that you all train exclusively to law enforcement and military. For your average ordinary person, that just wants to properly use a weapon, properly have the right mindset, skill, tactics, and gear to carry a weapon. How does, how does that type of person go about getting that? What, what should they do from your perspective? And you don't have to name names of any schools or anything, just in, in general, what kind of ways do you look at that? So the first, the first thing that I would recommend is uh, if you haven't done it already is to make sure that you go to like a CCDW course um, a basic CCDW course. The state of Kentucky offers them. Make sure you find a credible instructor. That's step one. Two, don't watch YouTube. Just don't. Don't watch YouTube. If you want to watch YouTube on how to make a, a bow drill to start a fire, do that. If you want to watch YouTube on how to make uh, how to make like um, an arrowhead and flint map and flint mapping, do that. But if you want to watch YouTube on the proper way to utilize a weapon system, don't do that. Find an actual credible instructor and go get actual credible hands-on instruction. Uh, and it doesn't take a lot. There's, it doesn't take a lot of research to make that happen. Sure. But that I would start with a CCDW course. NRA offers some really good um, instruction out there and some really good courses in that, in that realm. And then that's where I would, I would start there without a question. Yeah. So as far as them finding a credible instructor, how, what does credible mean? I mean, to them, you know, think, think about your average ordinary guy. He, he's, you know, he's, he's picked up his first Glock, for example, and he, he knows that he wants good training. He, he wants to be able to be safe. He wants to be able to shoot accurately. You know, how does, how does that guy find a credible instructor? So there is a list of instruction courses and instructors that I believe are all NRA certified on the website, on the NRA, on the NRA website. Um, however, the other side of that too would be reach out to, um, look at your local firearms ranges. If you have a good local firearms range and they have some information that you can go with, that would be awesome. 
And um, the other side of this too is, is this, like, what do you want? Do you want to be, do you want range theatrics? Like there's been a crap ton of videos that have been going out recently um, with, with an Israeli style of tactic and the Israeli technique of carrying. And there's all a bunch of, it, it, it range theatrics. Like what, right. what's, what's the simplicity of action? Like, how do I make this super efficient? And that's ultimately what it boils down to. So do your research with regards to who it is, what their background is, what the truth is. It vet the individual prior to going to them, which means to reach out to other people who may have either taken instruction from them or have, you know, have a background in this realm. So, I mean, just yeah. do your due diligence. Right. Yeah, I can, I can attest to that. I think a big one just that you hit on is just find other people that have trained with these guys and talk to them because it, you, you can spend a day on the range with somebody and learn so much that you can share with other people. Yeah. uh, You know, you find your bud, you find your friend, whoever it is, family that's done some training and, and go with them, you know, go with them. If they're not interested in going back, maybe that guy's not the right guy to go train with. I mean, if something's coming up like that, that's exactly right. All right, cool. Good stuff. Now. So tell me about, you got a lot of stuff, man. It's hard for me to keep it all in my head. That going savage freedoms since that's, uh, right in front of me on yeah, your so your um, yeah tell so me about savage freedoms savage freedoms started in december of last year and um and i started savage freedoms in um in a desire to spread a message of mentality believe it or not hmm. and see that. you got that from me didn't you <laughs> <laughs> sorry my way go ahead that's good it's all me i'll give you the props on that bro <laughs> Oh my gosh. Go ahead, Adam. And so, and so I started it based on this understanding of, you know, this consideration of where modern men have become. And I, and I got a lot of this insight and revelation from this personal revelation and insight from the organization called wake up warrior. And so um, doing that, doing that and living that lifestyle. um, And by that lifestyle, what I mean is living, in a way where every single day I wake up and I put myself in a place of certainty and every single day I wake up and I put myself in a place of, of power in order to step into the world certain and clear about what I want and how to get there. And so this idea of the modern man in modern society and the idea that like, like alpha males, you're not supposed to be alpha male. You're not supposed to talk loud. You're not supposed to have aggression. You're not supposed to ever want to fight anybody. You're, you're not supposed to do any of those things, right? You're, not, you're, you're supposed to, apparently you're supposed to wear skinny jeans and have long hair and grow this really long beard. And then you're supposed to literally cry over everything. And in the time that you're crying over everything, you're also, so, you're also supposed to be a beta male and put every other person ahead of yourself. I love you, man. <laughs> I love it. I love when you speak truth like this and people need to hear it, man. They do, man. They need to hear it. I know. And, and, I know. And it's, and, here, and this is, for, if you have a hey, listeners right now, just to give you a heads up, I get pretty fired up about this. You may hear some, you may hear some choice words just as an FYI, but this is just the point. The point is that in the world of modern, in the world of modern culture and community, if we're going to talk about the survivability of masculinity, because it all comes back to surviving, I'm sick of seeing men attempting to survive in the modern culture. I want to see men thrive. And so in that aspect of things, this is not about, this is not about mansplaining this is not about any of that crap. All the shit that modern society has done with regards to trying to, to thumb down any type of masculine male. And it doesn't matter what race, color, creed, or religion you are. If you are a masculine man and you have masculine traits and you, and you understand the difference between masculinity and femininity, and I'm not talking about male and female. 
I'm talking about the traits of masculinity and femininity. If you understand the difference in how those are exuded, have you seen a female with very masculine traits? She gets treated the exact same way as a male with very masculine traits. Exactly the same way. Sure. But the only difference is this. The only difference is this. They achieve the same things. They grow to the same level. But there's a double standard. Because I'm not allowed to say certain words. I'm not allowed to act in a certain way. But someone else is. And so I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm not living that way anymore. I lived for a very long time, Craig, with trying to please everyone outside of myself. I was a people pleaser. I wanted other people to be pleased and happy with my actions. And they would then in turn give me value and worth. When in reality, my personal value and worth comes from within myself. So everybody else can get because I don't care about their opinion of me. If I'm an asshole, tell me. And I'll address that and figure out why I'm being that way. And then I'll understand my emotions. But I got no problem standing here getting angry with somebody and telling them that, that I'm pissed off with them and here's the reason why. And I have no problem standing in, in front of somebody and sharing a story about how I nearly killed myself and have tears streaming down my face. Sure. That's what masculinity is. Masculinity and understanding of survival of man in modern society is the acceptance that if you are a male and you have masculine traits, you do not have to hide them. You can, be, you can be a purveyor of knowledge and truth. You can be a purveyor of, of, of standing tall and being strong physically and emotionally and morally. There's nothing wrong with crying in front of other people. There's nothing wrong with being in touch with your emotions and feelings. There's also nothing wrong with knocking a dude in the face because he's a piece of and decided to put hands on somebody. Right. I and this it. idea of violence is not the answer is... Violence sometimes is the answer. Violence is sometimes the only answer. And in the world of survival, in the world of translating that to what we're doing in modern society and modern community, violence is not used enough with regards to this. Social media has provided an opportunity for individuals to become the tough guy. All that consideration of like toxic masculinity, throw it out the window. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. What there is is there are assholes and they're not assholes. And you can do that on Facebook, you can do that on Twitter, and you can do that in person. But the difference between modern society and old society was that if I was an asshole to you in your face, and I decided to push you to an extent, there were direct and immediate repercussions. Now, you can do it on Facebook. Right. And you can be an asshole on Facebook all you want, and you never have to face any sort of repercussions. And right. so there is this community and culture of just shit talking all the time rather than speaking to the truth. And I think it comes back to as well. And, and again, my job is try to get back to survival. I think that takes us right back to survival all day long because we as a society are devolving in my opinion, because we don't, it, it's, there's this word sincerity in our culture that we don't really pay attention to. And I think sincerity is an, an, an incredibly valuable trait. You know, as one, I had a program that I taught for years, based upon some, some values, loyalty, integrity, charity, sincerity, honor, bravery, and courtesy. And this, this idea of sincerity is one that just gets glossed over. And I, I think it's incredibly valuable. I don't, people cannot be sincere on social media, in my opinion. And because of that, we don't have, we don't develop our, 
interpersonal skills with one another. And that way we don't know how to guide one another. We don't know how to lead. Some of us don't know how to follow. I mean, all these things that go along with interpersonal communication, sincerity is an aspect of it. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, 100% without question. And that's the reason why when you talked about doing this podcast, I was like, hey, dude, we need to do this on video. Right. Because even though we're not in the same room right now, and for those of you listening, we're not in the same room, even though we're not in the same room, I have an opportunity to look you in the face, even though it's over video, this adds a little bit more connection and a little bit more realistic, like realism to what, what this is. And if you go to, if you, here's a little plug, if you go to the daily dick punch on Facebook, there's a reason why my daily dick punch is not just a podcast, but it's the reason why I do a live video. Because in that moment, this is how I feel. And these are the words that are going to come out of my mouth organically. And I'm going to convey all that I can through the camera as much as humanly possible so that there's a connection there. Sure. Because you can see the truth. So how does that tell us, tell us about, let's go back because we got off tangent, which we said we <laughs> will, didn't we? We all said right. we could go off tangent. Yeah, here we go. All right. Let's get back to Savage Freedoms and Daily Dick Punch and how all that works together. So what you're doing now. Yeah, so... Um, so, and, and you know what, let's tie in wake up warrior. So, okay, um, go for it. July I was going to touch year. on that one next, but you do it now. Yeah. We'll just put it all together. So in July of last year, I got involved with an organization called wake up warrior and they were putting on challenges. I, I had been lost in the sauce in, in January, 2016. I'd had so much substantial growth, but I still felt very disconnected. I didn't know exactly what was going on. I didn't know what I wanted. I knew I was doing things, but I didn't know what I wanted. Right. Right. And so I was kind of lost, man. I didn't have any clarity in what I wanted. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so one of the things I, I, a buddy of mine was like, Adam, dude, bro, go look at this. Just go look at it. It worked well for me. It, it has a really sound and clear message. Just go listen to what this guy has to say. And so there's a guy named Garrett White. Um, he's the owner of Wake Up Warrior and he's a founder. He's been an entrepreneur his whole life and he, sees, he, he translates this message and it resonates with me because he cusses, he's true, he's, he's in your face, he's raw. It kind of hammers you a little bit which is exactly how I am. I'm the same way. I'm, I'm exactly the same way. Um, sure you are. <laughs> Absolutely you are. And, and so the message resonates, right? And I'm like, oh, this guy's got something to say. I want to hear more. So I started delving into it. I went through this thing called the King's Kit Challenge, this 30-day challenge. And really it was designed to, to provide the space and opportunity for men to become connected with themselves. And so that was how it started. And then in December, I went, and so now I'm like, now I'm starting to spin up a little bit. During that challenge, I decided that I was going to buy the gym. I bought the gym. My wife and I bought the gym in the end of July of last year. Um, wait, no. What year is this? This is 19. So 16, we opened. Yeah. So July of last year, I can't even remember what day it is. So, we, <laughs> so yeah. So July of last year. So we bought the gym last last year. And then in December, I went to a business conference, which was called Warrior Con, which was the conference that Wake Up Warrior was holding last year in December. And when I got there, um, I had a really interesting experience and I started to really truly see exactly what it is my purpose is and how I can fulfill my purpose. And so there's a lot of people right now that are listening that, that, that go to church and yet feel no connection to God when they're there. There are a lot of people that are listening right now that read the Bible or they are there or they're Jewish and they, they're religious people but they don't feel a connection to God, however they understand God to be. And what I would challenge them to do is to, is to think and, and consider that God is not defined by the religion that we believe in, but by our own personal connection to the divine. 
And so going through this process, I've really understood what my connection is, what that looks like and how to fulfill my purpose. And so in December, after WordCon was over, I started Savage Freedoms. And I started the Daily Dick Punch. And the Daily Dick Punch is an opportunity for me to rant at me about something that I learned in the day. So it's a way for me to externalize a lesson that I just learned in that moment. And it's a way for me to externalize it in a way that I can share with other people. And so that's awesome because that exploded. And then yeah. Savage Freedoms is a, direct, is a direct translation of the Daily Dick Punch because now it's an opportunity for me to share that message to my target audience, which are men. And so that's what Savage Freedoms came about. Well, in the end of January, beginning of February, I got a phone call from Wake Up Warrior, from the head coach, the head trainer, whose name is Sam Falsafi. And he's an amazing – just um, – the, the connection that I have with that guy, like the friendship that he and I built in a very short period of time is, is, is freaking, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, it just is, uh, it's hard it's to even communicate and articulate. Just, so does he have a similar background to you or is it no, totally? No, nothing. No, man. He's, so Sam, Sam is actually, Sam is, a, is an interesting character. Sam, Sam's Persian. He's Iranian. And he was in Iran during the Iran-Iraq war. And then they, his family left Iran, they fled, and they went to Montreal, Canada. And then he lived in Canada, and then he came to the United States. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And he's, Good for know, him. He wasn't in the military. He's a crazy background. But, you know, his purpose is very similar, and his, the way he fulfills his purpose is very similar. And the, the commonality here, and this is the thing that I've come to understand, and this is the thing that I'm going to challenge everybody listening to this, this podcast to do, and that is to evaluate all the things that you love the most in your life. And then ask yourself this question, why? Why do you love them the most? This comes back to mentality and survivability. See, we can't survive in modern society unless we know our purpose and we are actioning the fulfillment of our purpose. And this is my purpose, brother. And Craig, I figured it out, bro. I told you on the phone. It's about creating impact. It's about bringing impact. What does that impact look like? Well, some people think that impact is going overseas and kicking indoors. Hey, man, been there, done that. Got it. That is a form of impact, but the reality of the impact that I find the most fulfillment out of is an opportunity to present the space and possibility for someone to see that they have a choice to change their life. Such is the Daily Dick Punch, Savage Freedoms, and now, after that phone call from Coach Sam, I am now a coach at Wake Up Warrior. And so you put all those things together. And let's just rewind. January, the third week or fourth week of January, the, third, the fourth week of January in 2016, the fourth week, it was a Wednesday, I sat on a couch drunk with a suicide note, a pistol in my mouth. In December of that year, September of that year, my wife and I got married and bought our first home. In July of the next year, May the next year, 2017, we opened the gym, myself and, and, and my buddy Tripp. And then in July of the next year, we bought the gym and in December, we started Savage Freedoms and Daily Dick Punch. And then in the end of January, beginning of February of this year, I got a phone call to go coach for Wake Up Warrior. And now, with all those things being in place, now I'm taking the next step, which is an opportunity for me to work with this company called Allied Corp and stepping in to, 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 to champion another way to create impact. So what's the takeaway? What's the number one takeaway? It's not that my life is amazing because that's not the takeaway. The takeaway is that you're, you're, you are, you've, you've effectively implemented your method to make that impact. The takeaway is that I realized finally that I had a choice and everyone else has a choice. 
and we can choose to play or not play. And by choosing to play and driving forward to fulfill my purpose, which is create impact, more possibilities open up. Right. That's Dude, that is survival, survival 101, bro. Yeah, I'm with you, man. You know, survival 101. Because it's not, surviving is not about surviving. And I think people get this confused. In survival, we don't just do enough to live and to get out alive. We don't do that. In survival, it's about thriving inside that space. It is, man. It's not about like, oh, I can make a little fish hook and I got this little fish. Yeah, I can, yeah we want to celebrate a little victory, right? right that sure. little victory is huge. It's monstrous. It's not a little freaking victory. It's a monstrous victory. You just got a source of protein, you got a source of fat, you got calories to consume in that moment. And it's an opportunity for me to celebrate the fact that I am not just getting by in this situation. I am thriving in this situation. So even your morning yoga can be a big thing, right, bro? Every single day, man. And My it's morning yoga is huge. I'd every, the routine is amazing. And this routine started because of that. My, day, my daily survival plan when I get up in the morning as I get up, I make coffee. And my wife and I spend 30 minutes first thing in the morning connecting with each other, drinking coffee. We don't do anything else. No phones, no outside interference. Just her and I for 30 minutes. We call it morning coffee time. Love it. Yeah. And then she gets up and she has breakfast. In the process of her having breakfast, I get up, I go into the office, and I do my morning yoga, my morning meditation session. Um, I drink a protein shake immediately following that. I do journaling in the process. And then I go through something that allows me to gain clarity and generate more lessons learned um, that we use in Warrior called the stack. I go through that process. I get all that done. And while once all that's done, it's about 645. Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to ask. What time do you get up? So my day usually starts, depending on what day it is, my day usually starts at 5. Yeah, that's I'm 4.30. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think that's invaluable for people to understand. I mean, if – a few years ago, I determined that I was going to get some things done and I wasn't getting them done at that time. And I just didn't have enough time in the day. So I took an hour off of my sleep and then I took two hours out of my sleep and I changed my sleep pattern. Now I've got the same amount of sleep, but I do it. I get up early in the morning. That works for me. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but you've got to figure out how to find that time of the day, whether you get off the social media or you lose an hour of sleep or you take less time to eat the dinner, or you figure out a way to make your commute more efficient, you've got to figure out a way so that you can get those things done. That's right. There's so much wasted time in the day, and people say, oh, I just don't have enough time. And then you start digging yeah. a little deeper, and you realize that's actually a lie because yeah. you do have time. You're just not willing to choose to have that time. Right. I agree. You know, it's the same thing. Like, people are like, well, I don't have any money. Well, what are you spending your money on, man? How are you going to survive in modern society if you don't know exactly what you're spending your money on? But we could go through your we could go through your account right now. Like, how much money did you spend on McDonald's in the last month? One hundred and thirty dollars. Well, there's an extra one hundred and thirty dollars that you could put to the side, or you could spend on actual groceries, which are going to be healthy in the first place. Right. So, where is exactly. this money? Where is this not having money coming from? Yeah, I think it. To me, to me, Adam, it goes back to this idea of just because it just came up, this idea of sincerity and living in the moment. I mean, you've got to pay attention to the money that you're spending, the time that you're spending, and in every moment rather than you just get past something and let it go behind you. And now it's in the past and you don't think about it anymore. Yeah. To me, well, it seems like you are every moment of every day you're on, right? I mean, you're on with your yoga. You're on with your wife. That That's sincerity, you know, sitting at the dinner table where we're looking at our phones and not uh, communicating effectively. That's not being sincere with that person that's in front of you. 
Sincerity right. is put the phones down for that 30 minutes for you all in the mornings. Yeah. And what, like, what do you want? And that's the thing. That's the number one consideration here. What do you want? Do you want to be personally empowered? Do you want to be personally clear? Do you want to be personally connected to whatever divine or spiritual connection or whatever you believe in? Do you want to be connected to that? Do you want to be connected to your wife and kids? Do you want to be connected to your friends? Do you want to be able to step into the world and know definitively that today I'm here to kick it in the dick? Or do you want to go the opposite direction? Do you want to constantly be in a place of scarcity? Do you want to constantly be trying to drive yourself to just survive the day? And then are you constantly looking through the I wish and what ifs? Like, well, what if this happened? What if that happened? Is it going to happen right now? No. What are you going to do to make that happen? Well, I wish. You wish what? Somebody else would show up and do the work for you? No, it don't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can wish all day long. Wish in one hand, shit in the other, and see which one fills up faster. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And why? Why does, the, why does the one hand that you take a dump in fill up faster than the wish hand? Because the one hand that you're taking a dump in, you're taking action. Which is the craziest thing. People are like, oh, well, I have a handful of shit. No, bro, you don't. You have a handful of perfect example of ta- what a- taking action does. One fills up quicker because you took action to fill it. So now let's take away the metaphor completely and look at what the reality is. You can wish all day long, but wish does not take action. You can try all day long, but try is not an all-in investment into doing. If you do, and people are afraid of failing. Here's the thing about survival. Holy crap, dude, I'm getting on my soapbox. I'm starting to get fired up. Go. Here is the thing about survival. If you are not willing to go all in, then don't do it at all and sit down and die, period. There's your, there's your number one recommendation for survival. Like we'll play this game all day long and have this conversation. If you are not willing to go all in, then sit down and die. And that's how it goes in all aspects. Wilderness survival, living in life, family communications and connection with your children and wife, connection with yourself. If you're not willing to go all in, you're just willing to try, then you're not willing to do anything. Trying is nothing more than an excuse for why I can't, and I can't means I'm not even willing to do because it's a half-assed attempt at a thing. I'm one foot in, one foot out, not fully invested in the process. So if you do and fail, that's okay. Learn from your failure, make the adjustment. But 90% of the people in the world, hell, 99% of the people in the world aren't doing anything. They're trying things, but they're never committing to one thing. Like, Damn, man, commit to yourself. Commit to yourself to do what it is that you want to do in life and fulfill your freaking purpose, whatever that looks like. If your purpose is flipping burgers at a restaurant, then flip burgers at a restaurant. Be the best damn burger flipper that they have ever seen in the entire world. Exactly. I love it. But do it all the way. Do it all the way. And, bro, I'll tell you right now, if you're going to be a criminal, hey, roger that. If that's your purpose, you want to be a criminal, I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to call it bullshit. Because in reality, some of the best criminals in the world are the greatest business managers and organizers in the world, which is kind of scary to think about it that way. Right. It's true, though. Yeah. But how do criminals, how do, how do gang members who grow up inside a gang go to prison and then come out of prison and step into another world where they are significantly successful fulfilling impact by getting people out of gangs? Because they know how to organize and they, have to get, they know how to get stuff done. That's it, man. They get it done. They took the skills, the nefarious, the skills that they developed doing nefarious deeds, and then they translated those to actually really good deeds that fulfill a greater purpose. That's it. That's good stuff, man. Whew, you got me fired up, bro. That's good. <laughs> I'm fine. I knew you would be. That's why I wanted you on. I'm kind of low key, man. I need somebody to bounce me out on occasion like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so why don't you, if you don't care, summarize, and, and I'll get the links 
from you, Adam, and make sure that in the description of this podcast, and I think if you'll send me the video for this, I'll put it up on my YouTube channel too. If yeah, you want of course. Is that good? Okay. Yep. And then they um, can see my awesome uh, get shit done coffee mug. There you go. Love it. Mm. Love it. So um, how, do, how do people contact you? How do people follow you, know what you're doing, and, and if they like what they hear? They don't. They don't have to. Hey, you know what, if they, if they, if they want to follow me and what I'm doing and, and kind of what's happening in my life is they can follow me at uh, the daily dick punch on Facebook. So there's a Facebook page called the daily dick punch. I'm finished building the podcast for the daily dick punch and I'm going to release that into um, the iTunes universe here very soon. Right now it's on SoundCloud. Um, so it's got okay. all the, all the original episodes that have been um, put together, edited and established, but I haven't gotten the rest of them done yet. So that'll go out pretty soon. They can also go to savage freedoms. And they can, they can like and follow Savage Freedoms on Facebook. They can like and follow Savage Freedoms and The Daily Dick Punch on Instagram as well if they want to. Um, and follow that process. If they're interested in seeing any of the knife work that I've done, they can go to Nomad Ironworks on Facebook as well. And they can look on there to see any knife work that I've done. Nomad Ironworks is two words. Ironworks is combined into one word. So Nomad Ironworks. Um, and then if you're law enforcement or military out there and you have a question about training and you, and you can prove that you're law enforcement or military, because that's the number one consideration, then I would highly recommend that they go to norsetactical.com and, and just take a look at, and that's Norse, like the Vikings, tactical.com, and just take a look at the, the course offerings. Um, the, the stuff that's getting put out right now is, 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 is cutting edge, man. It's absolutely phenomenal. And then the last thing is, uh, if there's an interest in what Allied Corps is going to be doing and what the nonprofit is going to be driving towards for them to just go to allied.health, and look at the company and then also look at the nonprofit. There's a link on there as well to see the nonprofit and what that's happening as well. Fantastic. So there's a crap ton of ways to, 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 to link up. Okay. Good stuff. I'll, I'll get all those links and put those in the descriptions of everything we put out. Beautiful. So get, yeah. This has been great, brother. I really appreciate you, man. Yeah, man, dude. I, I appreciate you too, bro. I'll hit you up sometime again soon and we'll do it. Nick, when you get fired up and you say, Hey man, I got to speak to a different audience. You just, you just holler at me and we'll get you. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I tell you what, if you ever need somebody to counterbalance what you got going on, just, just, just let I me know, know the guy is the mountain of Adam Smith. There's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many awesome topics that we didn't even get a chance to touch on. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm going to use that as an excuse to get you on again. Yeah. Like we, we didn't even, we didn't even talk about upside down fires. We can, we can do that too. Yeah. I just, I just wanted you to, I wanted to highlight you on this one for sure. We'll, 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 we'll do that on this one. Then we'll get together again. Well, brother, Hey, you know what? I just want to say this because I just, I just want, I just want to make sure that you, uh, you know this, that I, I really appreciate, I appreciate what you do and who you are and how you handle yourself and the message that you bring into the people that you teach, because there, there are not enough men of your caliber that are in the field doing what you do and living it every single day. Like there's one thing that's the most important thing to me, man. And that's being in integrity. Just be in integrity. It don't, the most powerful man in the room is a man with nothing to hide, nothing to prove and the willingness to walk away. And you live that every single day, man. You're, you're just, you're just downright a real person. I appreciate that, bro. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. That's a lot meaning from you. I really appreciate that. Heck yeah. Keep being you, keep being you Adam. Hey, you too, bro. Hey. Thanks, brother. Have a good day. All right, brother. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye.
there you have it, folks. That wraps up today's Manly Musing segment. I know it's a bit longer than usual, but it was some great content. And we really appreciate Adam Smith taking the time. And don't forget to go over to Anchor, listen to the podcast over there, send us messages or comments. Also, you can go over there and support us. Just click the support this channel button. You can sign up for a monthly donation. That helps us a lot. Helps us get a lot of new, fresh content out to you guys. Keeps us motivated and all that good stuff. All right, guys, till next time, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.